0: Welcome to the Holy Temple Podcast, where we focus on holistic wellness and intentional living. We believe the body is a temple and every room deserves honor and respect. That means mind, body, spirit, and all the juicy and funky spots in between. On this podcast, you'll gain wellness tips and support from the health community as you explore your own holistic journey. My name is Kristen Purgeon, and I'm a health educator, writer, and your host for the show. Now. Let's keep it holy. Welcome back, everyone. We've reached a time of year now where it's peak holiday season. So bring in those family gatherings and eventually the arrival of a new year. It's time to cue in those awkward conversations around the family dinner table over how this relative has gained weight or about how much or how little you're eating this time or commentary about how your niece or nephew is getting really round, or they're so skinny. Let's not forget, we're soon going to be seeing all of the new year, new me quotes on social media, along with TV and digital ads promoting gym memberships and medical spa treatments to help you achieve your weight loss and body image goals. Are you feeling the pressure yet? Because I am. But today's guest says there's a way to avoid that body image burden for good, and it's by eliminating diet culture's grip of inadequacy on our lives and embracing body positivity instead. Kelsey Ellis is an award-winning body-positive fitness trainer and holistic nutritionist based in Vancouver, Canada. She offers private and group coaching programs that help chronic dieters dismantle the diet culture narrative and transition from struggling with low self-esteem to having a thriving, shame-free relationship with their bodies. She also teaches body positive fitness classes through her on-demand fitness studio that promotes physical movement and a wellness-centered approach. With Kelsey, you won't find her saying, tone this and sculpt that in her classes, Her members are able to enjoy 100% judgment-free fitness that encourages them to move their bodies in a way that feels safe, inclusive, and uplifting. This is not just fluff and talk. Kelsey knows this because she's walked this herself. During our talk, Kelsey shares her personal experience with body dysmorphia and chronic dieting and how she healed from that, and it allowed her to appreciate and care for her body. It's a really beautiful coming home story that I'm sure is going to touch you. She also sheds light on just how pervasive diet culture is in our society, and once you become aware of it, she helps you understand what to do about it. What's not talked about a lot in the health and wellness industry is that healthy looks different for everyone, and during this episode, Kelsey talks about that. She shares tips on how to pursue mindful movement and how to embrace your own version of healthy for wherever you are in your unique journey. She's on a mission to help people feel empowered and to love the skin they're in. So get ready for Kelsey to share some powerful, motivational gems and coaching to help you walk your own coming home journey and to embrace your unique body. Feel free to connect with Kelsey via Instagram and TikTok. She's at healthy underscore with underscore Kelsey and her YouTube channel, Healthy with Kelsey. For podcast listeners who'd like to gain access to her on-demand workouts Kelsey's offering 50% off your first month of membership to the Healthy With Kelsey On Demand Studio. Go to healthywithkelsey.tv and enter the code HOLYTEMPLE, W-H-O-L-E-T-E-M-P-L-E, one word, all caps, and that's going to bring the cost down to only $10 for your first month. That's a great deal. On Demand Workouts for $10. I'm in. If you're ready to begin your coming home journey, I know you're going to love this episode, so let's get into it. Hey, Kelsey, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for asking. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good. I'm glad to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in your line of work?
1: Yeah. So I'm a non-diet, body-positive personal fitness coach, as well as a registered holistic nutritionist. And I work in the field of helping people obviously create health goals and take care of their body and live a life of holistic wellness outside of diet culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So to be able to exist with and define your health without the context of having a goal of weight loss or weight gain, or really anything that has to do with changing the shape, size, or weight of your body. So I've been doing this work since about 2017. My work has really evolved, especially with the pandemic, (laughs) as I'm sure that was the case for many people in any type of industry. Things really shifted for me though, moving from like a traditional fitness industry where I was working in a gym face-to-face and the culture of the fitness community was quite toxic and really going through my own personal growth journey through disordered eating behavior and a lot of body dysmorphia and then creating not only this pathway for myself that really helped me transition from that diet mindset into a more holistic approach and having a lot more self-appreciation, a lot more self-respect for my body and then really translating that into a way that was adaptable for my clients and helping them to recognize that life can exist beyond just having health goals that alter their body and physical appearance in some way. Through that work, I really recognized that how prevalent and how problematic this issue is. (laughs) And it's rampant. And it's one of those situations where once your eyes are open to diet culture, you cannot unsee it. You realize how pervasive it is, how it affects every aspect of our life, how we see it in every nook and corner of our society. And then it really helps you to unpack that for yourself and recognize, hey, maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe it's the system that I'm living with that is problematic. And so it turns the onus off of you being not having enough willpower or being wrong in some capacity or maybe that you don't have enough grit to try to bear it to accomplish these goals and recognizing that hey maybe it's the environment that we exist in that is not conducive to these goals that we have so now I'm able to work online and be able to connect to people all over the world so it's been really a beautiful journey and it's ever unfolding and yeah it's been
0: a lot of fun. Just hearing you talk about Diet culture, like, I guess you don't realize how pervasive it is until, like you say, you sit there and you really just take a moment to look and observe and see how expansive it is in our culture. I thought about this. We work together in regards to copywriting and some messaging. And so this is when I started just taking like a deeper look into diet culture and just noticing conversations around me as well. And I would notice that when I would talk to family members and you ask, oh, how's so-and-so doing? They're like, oh, you are doing fine. You know, they gain weight, getting real big and stuff, or they lost a lot of weight. It was always just like a physical description of people and more so like on body size, not oh, hair color, eye color, just more so like their body shape, their body size. And I'm like, why do we use that to describe people or to share updates about people? Like, why are we always talking about somebody's? physical body shape and size. And I just start noticing like, yeah, you see it in ads and stuff as well, but definitely in the fitness and wellness industry.
1: It's really interesting to recognize, like you said, how pervasive this is and how it affects your life on an individual level. And it's one of those situations where I tell my clients, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So once you recognize that diet culture exists, you have two options. You can either continue to uphold it or you can start to unpack it and dismantle it. So it becomes a conscious decision. Whereas previously, if you were unaware of like, why do I feel so bad about my body? And why do I feel like I'm just not enough? And I have these feelings of self unworthiness. Where does this all stem from? Once you recognize that, hey, I have either been a contributor of it or somebody who has benefited from it, or I've continued to uphold it. Now you have an option where you have a conscious decision to be made. Do you want to continue living a life where you're upholding that and recognizing the harm that it's caused, not only yourself, but the community around you? Or do you want to begin to unpack it and start to dismantle your own systems of belief so that we're not continuing to create that harm? And I think we're, we're at the surface level right now. We're at the foundational level where people are starting to awaken to this idea that, hey, we are as a society creating these issues that are so pervasive and then passing it on to the generations that come after us. And so people are recognizing like, hey, we can do better. Once we know better, we can do better. And mm-hmm. for a lot of the times, this has been something that has been so under the table. We all recognize that it could have existed, but we didn't know really how to change it. So it's really started with the conversation. People being able to have an open dialogue about how this has personally affected them and to be able to share those vulnerabilities and then people stepping up and saying, Hey, I've experienced that too. And then when you have enough people that say, Hey, we've all experienced this harm. We realize we need to do something about it. This is not just been an isolated case.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you dealt with eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about your story?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I always grew up in a household where diet culture was very prevalent. My mom had the Absonic machine back when there was like the things you could order from television. It was like three payments of $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Like <laughs> it had one of those vibrating ab belts that you put on and it's supposed to give you a six pack. We had things like that. My mother was on every type of diet out there. Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, all of these types of diet programs. And... Never wanted to take photos because she was not really conscious about what she looked like. And as a child, I internalized a lot of that. As a 33-year-old woman now, looking back in my childhood, I carried a lot of that with me. I recognized that there is a standard of the way that somebody should be. And also, too, on a more systemic level, as a Black woman, recognizing that I was not represented in the shows that I watched, the magazines that I read, the celebrities that I looked up to. You know, I always begged my mom to have my hair relaxed. That to me was like the ultimate desire of beauty. Like I wanted this long, straight hair. And so I internalized not only the weight stigma and the body shape and size stigma, but also just navigating this world as a young Black girl and not seeing myself represented or not knowing that there was a beauty standard that could exist for me that was closer to what I looked like was difficult. And it took me until my 30s to really recognize the damage that created in my life. And it helped me to really realize again, that I'm not the problem. Yeah. I, for so long, what contributed to the chronic dieting, sorry, the disordered eating, the over-exercising, the overcompensating in every aspect of my life, trying to be the best, earn the gold star for everything that I did, go above and beyond. I had to get the A plus. Every part of that stemmed from this deep seated fear of inadequacy. And I realized that that started at a very young age. And now that I have learned this, I kind of look back and I can apologize to my younger self and the actions that I took at that time trying to navigate those waters. But for me, this has been a coming home story. It's been me coming back to my younger self and being able to rebuild that relationship and recognize that all of the things that I did as a way to secure myself and feel good about myself was because of the world that I was living in. And so my body positivity journey really shifted for me when I started to recognize that there is life outside of dieting and all of the things that I did in my childhood led up to all the things that I did in my teens as a way to really understand myself and to be able to see how i fit into this world and for me what that felt like all the time was that i had to come closer and closer to the body standard i had to be more like the ideal body in order to feel accepted desired attractive wanted successful and the proximity that i created closer and closer to that created more distance from who i truly was and for me it was unpacking diet culture Learning how to eat a healthful diet as a holistic nutritionist, recognizing that there is life beyond dieting really helped me to shift that perspective and be like, hey, what if I can exist in a body just as I am and still be lovable, worthy, desirable, attractive, et cetera. And for me, that was like, wow, mind blowing. I didn't have to get closer to this body ideal to have all of the things that I was desiring all along.
0: That's powerful right there. You didn't have to get closer to it to embody what you already had all along. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I call it really my coming home story because I was
1: home the whole time Ooh. and I just didn't realize it. So Ooh, that makes
0: me feel a little emotional. I know the chills, <laughs> goodness, <laughs> but it's so important because one, we're talking about body positivity in your body itself. Like you're in this shell or in this temple, as we say here on the podcast, there's a lot of times we are always wanting to shape and remold and fix what's there, what's ours, and not actually just being accepting and embracing of the physical shell, the home that we have and that we're in. Yeah. And like you just said, that desire to fix
1: mm-hmm. and then realizing that you were never broken in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to diet culture, there is one thing that I know for sure. So when I talk about diet culture, I talk about the media I talk about the language, I talk about the wellness industry, I talk about racism, patriarchy, all of these things that are all contributing to diet culture as a whole. It exists to create insecurity within our society. Because when an insecurity exists, now you have the power to then sell the solution to the insecurity that was created. If people Loved themselves and they were accepting of themselves and they were okay with having quote unquote flawed skin, bigger bodies, rolls this, puffier hair, whatever it might be, then a bunch of these products that exist would have no marketing value. And so, diet culture's role is to create the insecurity and then sell us the solution to that issue. So, when we think of flawed, like acne skin, Then we look at Neutrogena and the acne face wash and the commercials that they create about having more friends and your relationship is going to be better. You feel better about yourself. You sleep better at night because you have this beautiful, clear skin. It's that creates insecurity that having acne was a problem altogether when really it's just an aspect of normal day life. It exists on the scale of millions of people. That is the norm. And it tells us that's actually not normal and that we have to try and fix it. But I'd like to remind people that all of these perceived flaws that we have, they're not meant to be fixed because you were never broken in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I know that you take a stance against the media, social media, TV ads and things that really promote this quote unquote ideal body image. But there's also this ideal body image in the fitness world and in the wellness space. Have you noticed that there is some sort of shift towards being more inclusive towards all bodies? I know there's like Mm -hmm. health at every size. We talk about in the public health space. But do you see any sort of welcoming (laughs) towards Mm -hmm. body positivity, like health at every size in the fitness and wellness space?
1: I feel like we're scratching the surface. We are like not even at level one yet. Mm -hmm. That's how I truly feel. It feels very at this stage, very performative that wellness brands, the fitness industry are hiring people who maybe look the part, but on the foundational level and the corporate level, nothing's actually shifted. You know what I mean? The messaging hasn't changed. It's giving people opportunity, which I absolutely love, and being at the forefront. But I feel like if you pull back the curtains, From the top down, nothing has really changed. And what I am seeing is a ton of backlash, which to me shows that we haven't really evolved as much as I would love to believe as a society. Perfect example of this is Peloton's newest instructor that I posted about on Instagram, Ash Mm -hmm. Pryor. She's this beautiful Black woman, full bodied, and she's a rowing instructor. And the amount of backlash that came from the general public in regards to her being allowed to even be a face of Peloton completely blew my mind because here I am existing in my little bubble of the body positive world and the people that I associate with. And I'm like, I think we're making progress. And then I step outside my little bubble and I'm reminded that the general public still carries this fat phobic weight stigmatic belief system. And it reminds me maybe things are not changing. And it's very difficult as a coach in this space to feel like a crab in a bucket. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm making 10 steps forward and then 20 steps back.
0: Yeah, And
1: it's like, are we ever going to get there? I think we can, but these systems that uphold this culture have to change. It's not just about me liking myself. It's about how I'm contributing to the harm that is being caused and unpacking why I feel that way. Why do I carry the beliefs that I have? Why do I carry the beliefs that I have about how other people should live their lives and the bodies that they have? This kind of conformity mindset yeah so it gives i have hope don't get me wrong i don't want to leave this conversation anyone feeling (laughs) negative it's like i have so much hope and i'm so passionate about it for that reason but i don't want to become blinded by the fact that these brands and the fitness industry is doing the bare minimum i ask for more i don't want to just see people as poster childs i want to see the work being done behind the scenes too
0: yeah my question for you To piggyback off of that, is do you think that the work should be done from the top down? Do you think that it should be from the ground up, like individual people working on coming home to themselves? Or do you think it's more of a mix, like we're all doing our part? Will somewhere meet in the middle? I like that.
1: I think that's most likely the case. I think the thing that will stimulate change from the top down the quickest is impacting their bottom line. And we as the people have the greatest contribution towards what we decide, and how we use our money. And we can see (laughs) from these last couple of years how impactful cancel culture can be.
0: Yeah,
1: It can also be overutilized as well, and it can become very problematic. But we can see that the general public and with their dollars can have a say in how things can happen. What I find to be problematic and where I call it performative is that we'll see when we start using our buying power to initiate change, that they will change their ways to a certain degree or they'll run a campaign that reflects these changes and then it quiets people down but nothing is actually changed once a campaign is over we're still hearing harm in the work environment for example and i'm sure you notice this too suddenly with all the movement around black lives matters we started oh, yeah. seeing black people be at the forefront of so many campaigns and on magazine fronts and being interviewed and their voices being elevated and having a platform And now here we are sitting two years later and we see the magazine covers change back. We see less voices being used. And so what about in five years from now? Are we just back to square one again? Do people still care in the same way? And can we continue to keep putting that same energy behind it? It's hard. I think we're better than we were, but I think we still have a long way to go.
0: Yeah. Like you mentioned, the especially with 2020, everything rolling out with Black Lives Matter, how there was like this big push for DEI training, Mm -hmm. cultural competency trainings. And then now it's like you hear so many people complaining about these trainings. Why do you have to have this training and stuff? And it's like, if you look at your board at your company, they all look the same. Or somebody's still dealing with microaggressions in the workplace because somebody wants to comment on her hair again or wants to touch it. Yeah, it's definitely a performative Aspect to change. I
1: think, too, from a general public perspective, and us as part of that, we have to remember that personally attacking one another, for example, going on and leaving a a nasty comment on an influencer's post or saying something to somebody, is not going to have the same impact of using our energy towards the things that are actually going to matter. We have to go for the big fries. We got to go for the big guys from the top down, Mm -hmm. you know, a conversation is important. Don't get me wrong. And having debates is healthy, but I think we also have to recognize that us battling one another is not helping us unify to actually support the bigger issue at hand.
0: Hey there. I want to pause the episode for a quick minute to share with you two ways you can support this podcast. I'm a creative, and if you don't know, the Holy Temple Podcast is a passion project for me, and it's a way to blend my love for storytelling with holistic health. But with that being said, this podcast runs off of love and the support from listeners. If you look forward to getting that notification every Tuesday that a new Holy Temple episode dropped, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this girl right here share stories on how she and so many others are striving to embrace their full, whole selves. It really means a lot to me. I'd also like to ask for your support. Would you consider giving a monthly contribution to the making of this podcast? A lot goes into running a podcast and having a team to create this show can keep those weekly episodes that you love coming and it can avoid another, oh, I don't know, eight month break. (laughs) Seriously, your donations towards this show will be much appreciated. The other way you can support is by shopping our merch. Yes, the Holy Temple Podcast has branded apparel for you to enjoy. Check out our Etsy shop to purchase your t-shirts, your beanies, and other accessories. To access our shop and to make a donation to the show, visit my website, kristinpridgen.com. Kristen has two eyes in it. So kristinpridgen.com forward slash holy, W-H-O-L-E temple dash podcast. You'll find our episodes, exclusive deals, and our shop and donation links. Again, the website is com forward slash holy-temple-podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the Holy Temple family and for your support. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the work that you do as a holistic nutritionist and a fitness trainer. And particularly because we're talking about health at every size, body positivity, what are you offering your clients? Yeah, so there's a few
1: things. I offer a group coaching program twice a year. It's called the Emotional Eating Recovery Program. And it's an eight week online virtual intensive where we meet weekly and have group coaching calls and resources to really implement the information that we talk about. And we cover everything from diet culture, intuitive eating, and creating a healthy relationship with your body and exercise. I also offer one-to-one private coaching, as well as my on-demand virtual studio, where there is over 150 workouts already available that are all body-positive fitness workouts. So you don't have to worry about the diet culture. You don't have to worry about the diet language. There's no body shaming. We're focused really on just 100% non-judgmental fitness. So just showing up, having fun being intentional about your movement, connecting to your body, taking those times to really have gratitude for our body and the movement that we do, and really focusing on what feels good.
0: Very cool. And I love that your workouts are about just body positivity, like non-diet culture and things like that. And earlier this year, I guess technically in December of last year, I went back to the gym because I stopped going to the gym when COVID hit and everything. And normally when I would go to the gym and workout, it's about, oh, I need to tone this. I need to make this shrink and I need to make this booty look nice and pop. And, you know, like for the image, the visual, but this time I said, okay, I'm going to focus on mindful movement and doing exercises that make me feel good. That if I want to work on strengthening my muscles, I'm going to do some weight training. If I want to work on endurance, maybe I'll go do this cardio class and things like that, but more so just doing it because it feels good. And I like it. And I like getting that rush of endorphins at the end. And that's fine and dandy. However, I feel like there's still just this clash, this dissonance in my mind and maybe other people as well. Whereas, yeah, I could be sitting there doing my workout, focusing on, oh, how many reps can I get? Because I like feeling this rush and this push and this challenge. But I'm also thinking, man. I need to get this waist down so I can have this certain shape or now I teach mixed fit classes. And I'm like, oh, like, what can I do to make sure that I look good when I'm up there teaching the classes and things like that? I guess my question is, how do you find that balance between wanting to move your body because it feels good and it's beneficial and looking a certain way or body goals and things like that? Yeah, my first, you know, recommendation would be
1: to be really to take a minute and write down what it is you're actually hoping to achieve by existing in a smaller body or having a bigger bum or having more toned arms. Like, why is that so important? First, people are always like, I want to do it for me. And then, and then I ask, okay, but why? How will that bring benefit to your life? And then usually I start to hear things like, I'll feel better in my body. And then I say, okay, but why? And then people start to break down, you know, because at the root of it all, we want to feel belonging. We want to feel connected. We want to feel belonging in whatever social circles that we exist in. That is the root of every human being is to belong. Because we know on a instinctual level, humans cannot survive without having community. Mm -hmm. So being closer to that body standard means that we are going to be more accepted. We're going to feel more belongingness we're less likely to be lonely and have to try to fend for ourselves and survive or be ostracized from the group in the circles that we exist in. And then as people recognize that, we realize, hey, do we carry that same belief about the other people that exist in our lives? Would we ostracize somebody else for existing in a body that's different than the one they have? Would we congratulate them and feel better if they were just in a smaller body? And the answer most people say is no. So why do we implicate that on ourselves? Why can't we have the same approach and nurturing approach to ourselves that we carry for other people? And so trying to find that balance, I think it's so important to recognize that you can achieve all of these things that you are desiring. You can feel more attractive. You can carry more confidence. You can have more opportunity. You can have more friends. You can have this life that you envision for yourself that you think is going to be impacted by the way that your body looks without changing a single thing, without having to step foot in a gym. I think the issue also becomes that a lot of people utilize exercise as a form of controlling what they're eating. So that relationship is going to eventually cause resentment. And that resentment that you carry is going to be internalized as a sense of failure because inevitably you're going to fall off track. So when we have this approach, it's not sustainable long-term. And each time that we do that, and then when we quote unquote fail, we create more resistance to the next time that we do it and the next time and the time after that. And so rather than having this healthy relationship with mindful movement and exercise, we change it into this way of trying to control. And then when we're not doing it, we feel out of control. So my question to everybody is how can I exist and look at movement as a way not to control my body, not to control my diet, but as a way to honor and respect my body. And what can that look like? Does it mean five days a week I go to a high intensity HIIT class that I'm like screaming and feeling like I'm going to throw up at? Or can it look differently than that? Why is that the ideal, the most calorie burning high intensity workout, the thing that I'm striving for? Is it actually helping me or is it actually harming me? can I do this for the rest of my life? And the answer is normally no.
0: That's good. And like you said, you wind up building that resistance each time you fall back and then try again. And then so you see like yo-yo dieting and things like that. I don't think there is one perfect
1: answer because everybody's, experience is going to be different. Everybody's upbringing in the relationship that they have with food, exercise and their body is going to be different. But there is a common thread that I see in people who tend to have a healthier body image, and somebody who commits and stays motivated to their health and wellness program. And that is they're not looking at it as a way to discipline themselves. And they're not looking at it as this thing that I'm going to do for six weeks, six months, it becomes this lifestyle so that on the days where you don't get to go, there's no guilt or shame or disappointment or a sense of failure because you know you're going to go tomorrow or next week or the month after that. There's none of this timeline. And we see in the fitness industry, everything being sold as like a package, right? The six week package, the six session package. And we then associate that we're going to achieve this goal by this time. Fitness goals are not something that need to be achieved by any specific time. This is something that is ongoing caretaking. Unless you are specifically doing like some kind of performance event, like on July 18th, I'm running a half marathon. So by that date, I have to be able to run this far. But the majority of people are not on health goals like that. The majority of people are like, I just want to be healthy. And it is quite a bit more simple than we think. It means being and adhering to a program that is sustainable for you. And what that looks like for you is not gonna look the same for me. So it's a very individual, personalized journey. And when we zoom out and we look at it from that more holistic approach, we can really see that, hey, this is something I can commit to long-term. It's not about me hitting 30 days in a row of exercise. It's not about me not skipping, quote unquote, my workouts. Because when you zoom out, you realize in the grand perspective, Who cares if you miss a week? Who cares if you miss a month? This is like a 70-year commitment. (laughs) That's going to be a drop in the ocean at the end of the day. So don't think of it as this thing I need to achieve by the certain date. Because all you do is create more stress. Because every day that you're not adhering to that and you're getting closer to that date, the more anxiety you have about it and the harder you have to push and the more calories you have to restrict in order to reach that goal by that same date. And then that's where the resentment comes in. And that's where when you get to that date and you achieve that goal, it like reverts all the way back to worse than before you ever began because you're so excited to have reached that goal that you feel like I'm at the finish line. You're not at the Mm -hmm. finish line. Exercise is a commitment for life. Movement is a commitment for life. So adapting what that can look like as you go through different lifestyle changes, through pregnancy, through a loss of somebody in your family, you have to be able to change as... These things happen in our lives. And when we make such a strong commitment to structured, rigid exercise, it doesn't allow for flexibility for the human design, which is things are going to change in your life all the time. All we know for sure is that there's going to be change in life. Right. So we have to be adaptable. And most rigid training programs are not very adaptable. And that puts the onus on the person rather than the actual design and structure of the program. We have to stay flexible.
0: I love how you say that your version of healthy is a journey and ideally over the course of your entire life. So you're going to have those ebbs and flows. You're going to have changes, like you mentioned, whether it's pregnancy or losing loved ones or just grieving in general and uh, just life changes as you age as well and how your mobility shifts as you age. So I love how you say it's a journey and like you have to learn how to adapt to that. Thanks for sharing that. Exactly. It's a lot less stressful.
1: It makes it like fun and that there's not this like looming date over your mind of having to achieve something. And I think what happens with most people is they wait until, you know, there's a vacation coming up, they're getting married, whatever it is, this a thing that they have to get ready for. But every single time over and over again, I see it happen where that goal is achieved. They hit that date and then it's like, they don't do anything afterwards until yeah. the next thing comes up that they have yeah. to get ready for and it becomes this vicious cycle and was never from a place of intending to be healthy. It was never from a place of looking at exercises, maybe a way to manage mental health. It was never something that existed beyond appearance. And mm-hmm. therefore, it was never going to be something that could be sustainable for the rest of life. Yeah. And so it's starting from square one every single time.
0: That was definitely my story, my situation. So I remember... When I got engaged and we were planning our wedding and everything, and I kept saying, I'm not going to be that girl who like goes to the gym to try to lose all this weight so I can fit into this gown. And I kept saying it. I don't know where the shift happened but all of a sudden I was like I think I need to go to the gym and like just tone it up a little bit let me get on this elliptical let me go do some lat pull downs because my back is going to be out I need my back looking good for this gown and girl like I was working out every day the gym was in the clubhouse and it was like a mile away from my apartment I would walk to the clubhouse Work out there for an hour, then walk back, so two miles, and then still doing a workout, like getting on the elliptical, and then doing like some strength training and stuff. And I would do it every day, and yeah, I dropped a lot of weight. I was toned, but also I looked really thin. And in hindsight, did not look good for me, in my opinion, just because also I felt like I knew I was gonna be able to keep that up. But yeah, I looked nice in my wedding gown, and then literally like after our honeymoon, it was like, oh, I don't need to go to the gym today. I could mm-hmm. just hold off and stuff. And I kid you not, like, I think I gained like 20 pounds in our first year of marriage. And then people were like, Oh, you're getting that newlywed weight. And I was like, mm, I think it's just because I stopped working out and I stopped like having a goal I needed to meet for a big event. So I definitely get what you're saying. And how did that make you feel? Did you feel guilty and ashamed of yourself for letting that go?
1: Or was there like complete, like I can just accept myself at this stage and where I'm at.
0: I think initially I did feel, you know, a little ashamed of like, oh, I gained 20 pounds. Like, why? What? I'm still moving, but I wasn't like doing the extreme type of work and I was doing it before. So I'm like, what's going on and stuff. I don't think I felt major shame, just more so what will people think? Mm, mm-hmm. there we go that's because, a big motivator yeah. for a lot of people oh yeah i'm definitely a recovering people pleaser i deal with perfectionism i know those are my areas i go to therapy and i keep my therapist <laughs> on her toes every two weeks but yeah so that was definitely the big piece like oh where are they gonna say i am gaining weight and everything it was more more so that yeah and no you mentioned in the beginning too like with family and stuff
1: when people bring up and there's conversations around Mm -hmm. like describing other people with weight you know that if they're describing that person to you that if that happened to you they'd be describing you to somebody else Absolutely. and that's what creates that like (laughs) sense of I have to stay on top of things because I don't want to feel ostracized from the group I don't want other people talking about my body Mm -hmm. in the same way that I'm hearing them talk about someone else right yeah and so that's where I see like as a society, these conversations need to change. These boundaries need to be set. When we hear conversations like that, we can remove ourselves from these conversations or we can voice our opinion, like, you know, what? I don't want to talk about this. And I think being empowered to say that is so important. And you'll learn really quickly who will respect your boundaries and who won't. And then you have to ask yourself, who do I desire to keep in my life at this point? Should I be subjecting myself to this? And the people who love me will respect me. And if I don't feel comfortable in these conversations and I set these boundaries, that's tough. I have cut people out of my life. And I think that's been part of my journey. And as I continue to grow, if there's people in my life who are not growing with me, then there's only rooms for so many people. I'm quick to make sure that the community that I'm part of is supportive to the journey that I have. For anybody listening out there and they are constantly subjected to these conversations, whether that be friends, family, recognizing when to set boundaries and to voice when you have a boundary, I think is so important and you'll learn really quickly whether people will respect those boundaries or not.
0: Yeah. It's definitely important to to set those boundaries, to know what's important to you and to hold true to that. So can you give three to five ways that we can begin embracing our own version of healthy, no matter where we are in our journey? Definitely. I think first and foremost, is what we expose ourselves to
1: and for most people that's social media Mm -hmm. where we gain most of our information these days comes from the social platforms that we're on and so i feel like it's so important to go through who you're following or as you're scrolling and recognize how those posts are impacting you you're following these ideal quote-unquote body thin people And it's making you feel bad about yourself as you're scrolling. And every time you close your app, you feel a little bit worse about yourself. That's information for you. So take that for what it is, those feelings. And if it doesn't make you feel good, unfollow, mute it. There's a really beautiful mute button. There's a great block button that I love to use all day long these days. Most people follow those people because they think it's going to be motivating. So ask yourself, am I feeling motivated? Or am I trying to use my shame as a form of motivation? It's never going to work. Shame is not a motivator, not a long-term motivator. It can happen for 30 days, but we're not motivated by fear or shame. So detoxing your social media would be one of my first steps when you're wanting to improve your relationship with your health, your body, your body image, so important. And then on the other hand, if you deleted all these people, fill them back up with people who you find inspirational that are existing in a body at any size, that's living this life that you envisioned for yourself. I think it's just as important, this kind of process of exposure. Mm-hmm. We believe what we are exposed to. So if all of our feed is just thin people, we're gonna believe that that's what's normal. That is the only way to exist. So it's equally as important to put people on that feed as you scroll who exist outside of that subject yourself to things that are not immediately within your circle all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really great way to expand our mind and then also to help us unpack and dismantle those diet culture beliefs that we carry all the time. So the social media thing is really important because that's very easily where we get a lot of information. The second thing I would say is to recognize your thoughts. I know that this is could be its own topic as a podcast in itself yes but really looking at your own internal dialogue and that inner voice that you have and recognizing is it a voice that's constantly critical is it constantly criticizing me and having these self-deprecating thoughts and how is that impacting me and is it helping me or is it hurting me as somebody who comes from a background of having a lot of body dysmorphia it was like every time I looked in the mirror I just felt disgusted with myself but What really shifted for me was when I recognized that I was feeling disgusted with myself and then asked why, and then reframed that in a new way. And I started to create new language and create a new internal dialogue that was a lot more empowering than disempowering. And this is not easy. This is something that takes years and I still continue to work on this far into my journey because everybody has critical thoughts, but we have to recognize the implications of having those thoughts and now changing our beliefs about who we think we are. So the first step is just recognizing your thoughts. Are they helping me? Are they hurting me? Do I feel uplifted or do I feel disempowered by them? And how can I shift that language to something that is maybe a little bit more empowering? How would I talk to a friend? That's a great way of thinking about it, right? Would I say the same stuff to a friend that I'm saying to myself. So the third one I would say is starting to move your body. I know it sounds so simple, but one of the best things we can do for our health in totality, whether that's our mental health, emotional health, our physical health. And when you talk about the holy temple, there's all these pillars of health. The one thing that is really consistent among all of these is movement, the impact that it can have in all of these pillars. So recognize that our movement is important beyond just our physical appearance. And there's a way to control our physical appearance. So thinking about for mental health, Movement for societal wellness, movement for our emotional wellness and our spiritual wellness, you know, is so important. And you can feel the impact of that immediately when you move your body. I look at movement as a way to give back to my body. Mm. My body has been working for me my whole life. I'm 33 years old with nine months in the womb. So for 33 years and nine months, my heart has not stopped beating. My lungs have not stopped breathing. My nervous system has existed to keep me safe this whole time. The least I can do is give back to my body.
0: That's, so that's, how,
1: I, that's how I think of movement. And when we shift that, that perspective to taking care of myself instead of controlling myself, I think is where people are really going to see that shift. Control says that I have a problem that needs fixing. Self-care says I love my body and I want to care
0: for it. Yeah, that's good. I'm just soaking all of that in. Oof, yes. (laughs) Okay. I want to ask you then our staple podcast question. We believe that the body is a temple and that every part or room of it deserves honor and respect. So how do you, Kelsey, honor and respect your holy temple? I think the best way to describe that would be how I care for
1: myself throughout the day. And every day is different. So it's kind of hard to define what that looks like. But I think one thing that is consistent through every day is being able to recognize how I'm feeling. The days where I feel like I need more activity and then the days I also need more rest. Being able to have a neutral approach to both of those days without feeling less than for resting or more than for exercising, I think is what is so important. This kind of neutral approach. That there's not good or bad. There's not high intensity and low intensity. There's just this beautiful... Existence of just how I'm feeling in every moment and being able to intuitively make decisions in my life that respect how I'm feeling. So, I think for me, that's what it looks like to be able to have this kind of neutral approach. And I'm not saying I don't have highs and lows. Trust me, I'm like the world's most dramatic person. My husband would disagree, I'm a highly (laughs) sensitive person. But I think part of my journey through that is to not be so reactive to everything and be able to be more responsive to everything and not have such high highs and low lows. So to be able to have this kind of more neutral, balanced approach to my health and wellness that is being able to recognize that there's going to be some days where I'm feeling like I want to do more and there's going to be some days where I want to do less, but that does not tie to my worthiness and the value and the productivity that I have and who I am and what I have to offer in this world. I can exist and be a soul and a human beyond health and wellness i'm still a human being Mm -hmm. and being able to look at myself with that and then say what do i need to do to have the best experience in this day in this moment and make decisions around my health for that some days it's pizza some days it's a a green salad with some halloumi cheese and some vinaigrette other days it's going to be more movement other days it's going to be less Sometimes it's going to be sleeping in. Sometimes it's going to be saying no to a project that would financially compensate me very well, but knowing my capacity and my limits, but what I can handle, is it worth it? And I'm a huge believer that what we say no to, we are also saying yes to something else. Right? So I'm saying no to that project, but I'm saying yes to myself. For me, that's what health looks like. It's not this perfect linear Thing. It's this kind of hodgepodge, beautiful mess. And I embrace all of it. And I'm not looking to try to fix anything. I'm just looking to do my best each day.
0: I love that. Kelsey, this was so good. How can people get in contact with you? Definitely they can connect with me on Instagram.
1: If you're looking to detox that social media feed and you're looking for new people to follow that are going to be empowering and inspiring you to live a healthy lifestyle beyond dieting and weight control, then come follow me over on Instagram at healthy underscore with underscore Kelsey. And then you can check me through my on-demand studio, which is healthywithkelsey.tv.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Kelsey. We're going to definitely have to have you back on the show to talk about intuitive eating because that's an entire episode in itself, but this was such a great conversation talking about body positivity and what we can do to return home to ourselves and just being embracing of the temples that we have. So thank you again for sharing your experience and your light and energy. I appreciate you. Thank you so
1: much for having me on the podcast. It's such an honor and a pleasure to get to have these conversations. And like I mentioned earlier, to be able to have these conversations is all part of doing the work of reducing <laughs> the pervasiveness of diet culture. So here we are starting from the ground up. And I hope that these conversations will then start to expand from the top down.
0: Thanks for listening to the Holy Temple Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. Until the next time we meet, remember to respect your Holy Temple. Mm